Laura, his house being 10 blocks long or whatever, I don't care. You know? No. Trim the fat. This is a podcast. We don't have time to talk about his house for 10 pages, Laura. This isn't a fanfic. We gotta move on. I don't need explicit information. Lafayette has a big house. We get it. Ten blocks is too much. I don't know if it was that long. I can't remember. (laughs) It's too much house. Anyway, hi, I'm Alexis. And I'm Haley. And this is Hysterical History. It's a podcast where we talk about history things that are funny-ish sometimes. (laughs) This week, the French Revolution. (laughs) Uh, Not quite. (laughs) This is a... This is the penultimate before we get to the oh, God. revolutioni. Oh, you just, this is the in-betweener years. You're just making me wait. I mean, it's not my fault. Laura, make me wait. I'm so ready, though. Uh, right now we're talking about Lafayette, just his life in general. Uh, I'm reading mostly Lafayette Reconsidered by Laura Arriccio. And uh, last time we talked about it, it was American Revolution, and we won. Hella did. So uh, that's all you need to know. We win. Uh, yeah. And Lafayette helps significantly because of uh, physically and also money and also the French. Thank you, sir. God bless America. Could not have done it without you. Literally couldn't have done it without you. So. Barely did it with you. It's true. But at the end of our last episode, uh, Lafayette left for the winter because he thought that the war would keep going and then it didn't. So it was like awkward because then he was just already home. And, like, not prepared to be home already again. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we're done. He's like, oh. But I didn't get everyone to sign my yearbook. But I oh, I thought, okay. Uh, so now he has to figure out, like, what do I do now? What is his life now? Uh, the French aren't at war anymore. Again. I guess which, you start a new war. Once again, shocking that you're not at war right now, you know, given how frequently you are. Do they? But, uh, can they afford They're not. <laughs> oh, certainly not. I don't think uh, they They spent a lot them. of money in that one. And they just keep, like, I mean, I guess they won this one. Yeah. But, like, what did, did. They, what did they gain from it? Not a huge amount of booty. No, they didn't gain a lot, and also... Uh, he just pissed off the UK, or England. Yeah, but England's also broke, too, so, like, yeah. we're kind of at a standstill here, you know? We're kind of Cold War, just, like, looking at each other in our negative, you know, dollar signs. So it was a huge waste of, ex- like, expenses yeah. that you could not afford. Yeah. But thanks. We appreciate it, though. Thanks. We won't help you, but, we, man, did we appreciate definitely it. Definitely going to owe you one next time you need help. Yeah, as soon as you need help, the yep. first time. Anyway, so it's January 21st, 1782, when he gets home. And when he gets home, people don't care that much that he's home because it's the Dauphin's uh, third-month-old birthday something. Not birthday, I guess. Three months old is not a birthday. He's three months old, and so everybody's like, woo! Maybe it's a birthday if you're French. Which seems weird because it's like, I guess like nine months pregnant plus three months is 12. So there. Birthday. (laughs) It's not. Uh, No. He is a year old, kind of. Um, Maybe is it like his christening or something? Do they do that? (laughs) Christening. Christening? (laughs) Christening. Um, I'm sure they do. They're Catholic, so maybe. Uh, but either way, they're celebrating the baby. They're like, man, it's great because up until now, Marie Antoinette has only had a singular baby, and it was a girl baby. So they were like, I don't really care about Basically that Basically a waste. Yeah. Uh, that's in her 11-year marriage. So that's not great for two kids the whole time, and that the one that you had for a long time was a girl. But, you know, so. you did it. So basically you can retire now. Yeah, you're good. 
Uh, I mean, it's better if we have extras just in case. But uh, you, but you, you know, you, you did your job. Technically, you did it, and you know, it wasn't really totally her fault because also her husband just refuses to have sex with her, even mm-hmm. though she's beautiful and willing. <laughs> so come on, she's just so intimidating. She's just, uh, true, and he's kind of a. He's kind of of a a wet rag. Yeah, he's a wimp. I uh, put my nose, this reminds me of Catherine de' Medici, because she didn't have any kids for the first decade of her marriage. Mm -hmm. None. So everybody was like, oh, yikes. And then she had a ton of them. So this uh, seems to be a thing, actually, that happens, which is weird. Because you think, usually they get married when they're, like, in their prime you know, uh, childbearing years that they're like in like their early like fourteen to like sixteen ish, mm-hmm. which is you know the easiest time to get pregnant, which is why it's so easy for teenagers, uh, why a teen pregnancy is a problem. But uh, both of them, yeah, for a decade, nothing. And so I'm like, that's strange. But just, you did it. Just doing it wrong, doing it bad. Yeah. But when Lafayette gets home, uh, Adrian, his wife, is out at the festivities for the baby, and uh, Marie Antoinette hears about it, and she says, I will personally escort you in the royal carriage back to your house. I love your husband. I'd love to, to get you there. That's new. She No, she likes Lafayette a lot. Oh, I think he, he creates... Happen? Oh, like during the war, um, he creates a lot of like fun drama. I think at court, so exciting thought, stories. When he left, like nobody liked him. Um, Marie Antoinette didn't like him necessarily when he left. I don't think, but after like he'd been gone a bit, she wrote a letter to the king that was like, "Be nice to him when he gets back, oh. okay? Like he's not hurting us." So there's like a, a a little a little filling time where she likes him. Yeah. Okay. So since then, I think I maybe mentioned last episode, she does like him for now. Um, for now. So she's stoked, and she's like, let's get you back to your hubby, dude. I know you haven't seen him in a bit, and he's a hero because we won that war. So, hella. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Adrian is described as collapsing into Lafayette's arms. Very cute. Just like, Mm -hmm. oh, my husband's back. And I'm like, adorable. Um, And Congress is, like, working with Lafayette a bit. They tell their uh, plenipotentiary which is an ambassador, essentially. I hate that. Uh, it's the worst. I'm not going to use it anymore. I'm going to say ambassador. But that's the word they used. Um, they tell him, hey, like, we want Lafayette to work directly with our ambassador to France so that we can get, like, good informations and have a good, like, buffer with the royalty, like, an in with them so that we can, like, get some stuff done. Because right now, um, because of the war... America and England, or not England, huh? America and France <laughs> are trying to create more um, commerce between the two of them mm-hmm. because clearly they're not trading with the British as much anymore, who they were almost exclusively trading with, right? So now the uh, American merchants have an issue where, like, who do I give my stuff to? Yeah. Um, and where do we get our stuff? Because we still need stuff. We don't have all the stuff we need here. Um and now they don't want to give it to us, and we don't can't give our stuff to them. Uh-huh. So uh, Lafayette decides, hey, I know about American people. I know about French people. I don't know anything about commerce, but I think I should do this. <laughs> I mean, he didn't know anything about uh, anything else, and he just went and did it. It's he true. to work out. True. Um, uh, and the current ambassador to Versailles, specifically, is a Benny Franks, who loves Lafayette. So They, they just want to hang out and have some good time. It's a good, good time. time. He's like, okay. Um, and he's being, you know, assigned to, like, just hang out with him and chat with him. I'm like, I'm sure he hates it. I he's know. like, ugh, make me talk to ugh, the boy. This old, this young little whippersnapper and... 
Lafayette's uh, like, this old guy, I love this guy. Yeah, and the U.S. mostly from France and their dealings, they want supplies. Sure. So they're like, we need stuff that you have, please. Um, because, like I said, England not giving them stuff so much anymore, probably. Uh, and Lafayette's like, this is my chance to make sure everybody gets what they want. Mm-hmm. And I can do it in, like, a, an intelligent and, like, understanding way on both sides, smooth the waters, because... You know, as we saw in the war, not always good at getting along straight up, the French and Americans. Um, different ideas of what is the right thing to do, mm-hmm. the right way to do it. And he's like, I know both of these people, so I can figure this, like, how to talk to everyone to make us cool beans. It's just moving stuff around. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he specifically thinks it's good for him to do because, you know, he... Is going to keep France's best interests in mind, but also is really fond of the United States. So he's not going to screw them over either. Like, Mm -hmm. he's trying to make it work for both parties, which will be a problem for him in the future. (laughs) But for this specific endeavor is a good thing. Sure. I have a quote that says, over the course of the next two years, he decided or decides his own diplomatic assignments, proffered political advice on matters both foreign and domestic, whether or not his opinion had been sought, and always made it a point to spread the news of his American efforts. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to do this even if you don't ask. I'm just here to help. By the way, did I tell you about how I totally won that one uh, battle? Mm-hmm. I was really good. It was really great. I'm kind of the best. I am kind of having a uh, moment. You're welcome. Right now. <laughs> I'm having a no, moment. No, that'll come in a little bit. <laughs> um... So, yeah, Lafayette just put him in charge of stuff uh, that nobody asked him to, and he just said, I'll figure it out. But to his credit, he does, like, spend time studying, like, mercantile business and commerce and, like, uh, you know, international water situation in general so that he comes in with, like, understanding. He, like, interviews people, like, and sends him letters to be like, what would be helpful to you that I could do, you know, like, to make this work better? And he comes to the point where he figures out the problem that they're having is that uh, the Americans are trying to, you know, get supplies, but they're having the biggest problem selling things to France because France has huge, like, duties on everything they import. Huge duties. (laughs) Huge duties. Yeah, you're going to love this episode. Just enormous, the biggest duties. And specifically, they have big ones on tobacco. Uh, the crown is basically entirely controlling the tobacco usage in the country and, like, mm-hmm. who's selling it. They have an yeah. entire monopoly on it. And obviously they don't want to give that up. So when the Americans are trying to sell their just, like, free-range tobacco, they're growing super a lot. The French crown is like, uh, no, thank you. Like, we, that's my thing. Um, the crown needs to just <laughs> shove it. Yeah. But even, like, Lafayette is so um, convincing and kind of, like, kind and intelligent that even on that, he's able to get the crown to budge. Like, he gets them to lower duties significantly. He gets them to organize, I think, five ports where there are no uh, duty-free ports. And he gets them to budge on tobacco so that they will buy some tobacco. I think there are still, like, pretty high duties on it, but, like... Enough that it's, like, worth selling instead of, like, yeah. impossible to make a profit on. <laughs> instead of um, encouraging a black market in which yeah. it uh, comes in anyway. Right. And so uh, he says the intricacies of our regulations are even more annoying than their cost. That, like, the problem is the red tape. It is not uh, the price. Like, the price isn't great. 
but Americans are mostly annoyed just how difficult things are. They just want to do it. Yeah, he, he gets to the point where he realizes that uh, the thing that uh, merchants care most about is time. That, you know, they want profit, but because of how difficult their job is and how time-consuming it is, if they hit even a small barrier, they're like, never mind, no thank you, I'll go somewhere else. And so that's why he spends so much time, like, making those ports and things to, like, take those obstacles away, because he's like, this is the issue and why we're not working. And, you know, to his credit, that's a lot more um, effort, it sounds like, than anyone else is putting in. And, um, yeah, pretty astute, you know? Logicked it out and was like, okay, and was able to, like, at least partially fix it. So, solved. Put him, put him in charge of some more stuff. Um, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah. And he wants not just to fight for the Americans, but he wants everybody to know that he's doing it. Uh, here's a quote that says, I have a great value for my American popularity, and I want the people at large to know my affection to them and my zeal for their service. So he's like, I want them to know I'm doing it for them. So he has James McHenry, who's a friend of his serving in the Continental Congress. Uh-huh. Uh, be so kind only as to care, uh, take care my commercial efforts be known in America. Let him know I'm doing this, okay? Why? Why? Um, Just because he wants it? I think he's worried, at least partially, that the Americans are going to, like, forget about him and all that he's doing. Um, also, uh, honor is a huge thing for the French and for the Americans at the time. And I think he just wants credit for, like, what he's doing. Yeah, I think a lot of my confusion is um, time traveler woe. I'm like, you <laughs> yeah. really don't need to worry about that. Right. Like, we, we know who you are. We know what you're doing. This is not an important thing that we care about. And we know what's going to happen to you. Yeah. And who's going to do it. Yeah. So you being like, look what I did with the commerce. I want to make, make sure America doesn't forget. It's like, yeah. It's, that's, that's not the problem. That's not what you're going to need. You need to make sure other people like you. But it's like, you know, given what we saw with um, Benedict Arnold, where like multiple times he had done something and then people had written it differently mm-hmm. and then he got just cut out of the equation entirely, it's really important important that people attribute what you're doing to you. Yeah. Because it's so easy by word of mouth to just ignore you entirely. Well, it helps when you're you start off popular and rich. It's true. It does help. <laughs> um just like nowadays, if you're yeah. like young, attractive, rich, uh you have connections, it's a lot easier. It's true. Turns out it's a lot easier. It's true. Uh, there's also the six million livre loan that Lafayette um, complained to Benny Franks and John Adams about, because those those are the two for uh, Benny Franks is for Versailles and John Adams is for kind of like general Europe at the time ambassador, um, and he complains to them because he was a part in getting them that loan after the war and. He doesn't feel like they gave him the credit that he deserved for helping. Like, he sent letters to people. He, like, helped them get, you know, a stage at Versailles and, like, really, like, greased the wheels for them that, like, this was going to work. And he doesn't feel like he's getting the credit. So he complains in letters to them, like, hey, (laughs) can you let them know I was a part of this, though? You're welcome, you know. So credit really matters to him right now. Uh, and Franklin, you know, Benny Franks doesn't care. Uh, he likes him. And he's like, sure, buddy. I'll tell him you did it. You know? Poor little man. Yeah. Like, I'll let him know. I'm sorry we left you out. We didn't mean to. Oh, little guy. <laughs> but we'll make sure you put your name on a little plaque. Yeah, we'll put you on the project. Aww. I'm sorry. But it's a weed for with your little name on Aww. there. Oh, little man. But, uh, you know, Adams, of course, is getting tired of him and uh, predicted his 
Unlimited ambition will obstruct his rise. He grasps at all civil, political, and military and would be thought the unum necessarium in everything. Of course, that's exactly what I would have said. <laughs> Adams doesn't like someone? Shocking. John. What? Sit down. He dislikes someone. I know. Jeez Louise. You know, John, the world uh, thinks much the same. You're such a Scorpio, John. About you, John. Everybody think you think everybody's useless. <laughs> Except you. Except you. I'm the special one. John only likes Abigail, and that's it. I don't even think he likes his kids. <laughs> it's just Abigail. No. Everybody else sucks. <laughs> it's, it's, he has that very, like, uh, you know, affectionate, but also, like, I don't know, people just don't think of their kids the same way. It's true. Then. They're like... I really made something good here yeah, as a product. That's pretty great. That's a pretty good thing I did. A thing that exists now only because of me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure some people love their kids, but nah, not everybody. Uh, and it's like, come on. Hamilton and Jefferson are friends with Lafayette. They both are friends with him. And you're like, no, I don't like him. <laughs> no. Come on. No, I don't. I don't like him. But Adams is also worried that everybody in Paris likes Benny Franks way more than they like him. Which I'm like, oh wow, shocking that they would like Benjamin Franklin more than you. Oh no. Um, you want to get your name put on most popular too? <laughs> but he's worried that Lafayette is like trying to muscle him out of his position. That he's gonna like try to appeal to Congress, like, "Hey, Adams isn't doing a lot, and like, I'm be much better in this position, you know, given my like friendship between the two of you. So I think I should be in charge of this." Which Lafayette is not doing, I want to say, right. but. Adams just feels clearly very insecure about his position in, like, this new situation, and especially in Europe, where he feels like they don't like him very much. And they don't. And they don't. And they but don't. they also don't like you at home very much, John. So. They don't like anywhere, John, turns out. So, you I'm, know. I'm really sorry about this, but no matter where you go, they're not going to like you, John. Yeah. Um, and he thinks that at some point Lafayette is going to sell the Americans out to the French and put their interests over American interests. So basically he thinks he's just, like, biding his time to, like, screw them over. Sure. Which is why he doesn't love that he's a part of these commerce talks and he doesn't love that he's, like, trying to get all this, like, credit for all the loan stuff because he thinks that's all, like, scheming. Yeah. Um, and Laura puts it, Lafayette was not a schemer. He was an idealist. And this is, like, part of what I love about history is that, like, we see John freaking out about Lafayette, and we know better. Because, yeah. like, we can see Lafayette's private letters to all these French people. He's not doing that. And, like, his private letters to his wife just gushing out how much he loves America. Mm -hmm. He really just does. He's really just an enthusiastic, happy boy who wants everything to be perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but sometimes but, you're, just, you're just paranoid. But through John's, yeah, like, uh, pessimistic eyes, all he sees is somebody putting on a farce to take over at some point. Yeah, I, I relate to John so much. I'm like, <laughs> it's fair. listen, when the whole world thinks that you're kind of garbage and you're yeah. like, you know what? This is how I see the world. Mm -hmm. And you're just trying to be a little gremlin. And you know what? You're going to take me down, too. You're going to do Everyone's it again. Everyone's after just me. Just like everyone else. Yeah, exactly. So and it's like it totally makes sense. But it's like interesting being from the perspective where we can see like that's not true. You know, like, I love that Laura just says flat out like that's not what he's doing, it's though. Not he's not doing that, John. Like she's talking to him. John? An, an optimist? I hate that. Uh, that's fake. You mean schemer? Yeah. You mean a liar and a thief? 
Optimism is fake. I mean, you can be an optimistic thief. That's not true. Impossible. <laughs> um, and given how many people are scheming, like, this is fair uh, to assume. Especially, like, given, you know, think about the list of people who try to use Lafayette to get to America so that they could do whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. And how many Americans thought in the first place that he was trying to do some sort of scheme. Right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, a lot of people are doing that. They're using these opportunities to do that. It's a little late to maybe do that. <laughs> when it's like, John, he got injured in the war. You really think... You really think well, now at he's, this point? Now he's got expenses. Now he's and now, now he doesn't have to keep up appearances. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Lafayette starts dropping hints to Benny Franks that he wants to be in the treaty negotiations between America, France, and England. Mm-hmm. Right? He was just positioning the whole time. This is what he wanted. And since he's an honorary citizen of America mm-hmm. and he's a French nobility, um, he speaks French and English. Like, I should go, right? Like, right? Oh, he speaks both. No one. No, oh, my only, God. No one in the world <laughs> speaks both French now I, and now English. I speak both languages, so I think I should go to the party. I'm the only me special boy. And Benny's like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> you should come with us. Benny's just so down. He loves him. Yeah. Um, but Vergen, who is the uh, like guy in charge of all this, he's like the head of state of France, is like, <laughs> no. Uh, he's worried that the boy cares too much about America and not enough about France. <laughs> be a uh, recurring issue. Yeah, yeah. Is uh, you're, you don't pick a side. Yep. Because he's an idealist, so he thinks there's a way we can all be happy. No. Compromise means no one's happy. <laughs> That's, that is a saying. <laughs> <laughs> but for some things, like for the um, you know, the commerce stuff and for the treaty, I think he's not wrong. Like, mm-hmm. I can help us make something that will yeah. like, be beneficial to everyone because we're coming in already not with, like, I have an ideal view of what's happening. We mm-hmm. all know this isn't going to be exactly what I want. Right. Um, which is where compromise works the best. But with the French Revolution, uh, no, sir, there will be no compromise. Goodbye. There's, uh, and it's so hard to tell, like, if you look back, like, who could guess? Mm-hmm. Who can... Well, it's so hard to but, guess at the time, like, this is a revolution that's going to uh, yeah. burn out to its very bitter end, which is so new. Yeah, like, com- completely. It doesn't really happen. Although, I would say he was just part of the American Revolution, which ended in war. So I feel like he should maybe think this is a possibility. Mm-hmm. And I know that's between two different parties, and they're across the ocean. So, like, it is different, but it's like, you know, just like. Use context. You were there, buddy. You know, know. it's so hard, though, because, like, no one went to England and killed George. True. Um, so then Maybe La- we should have. But Lafayette's not done giving up on these negotiations and getting to go. So he asks Washington if he could represent America in the negotiations. Okay. The audacity. I'm sure he doesn't have anything else to do. <laughs> and Washington is like, ah, uh, and defers to Robert Livingston, who's like, hell no, you cannot. <laughs> and he wouldn't even ask Congress at first because, yikes, really? I'm going to go ask them if the Marquis could represent us with France and England? No. No. Of course not. No. But Congress does hear about it. How about this? You can be an honorary representative, just like you're an honorary citizen. They won't let him go. But uh, there's going to have to be an adult in the room. I don't think after that they would (laughs) let him go at all. So uh, Congress does decide, yeah, no, that's okay. Um, Benny and John can do it fine. We don't need you to do it. Sorry, kid. John was right. He just wants position and power. Sorry, kid. So Laura goes 
on a long tangent about this that I only sort of care about. I don't even really care about it, but I'm going to let you know just because it's mildly important to this kind of, like, problem Lafayette's in now where, like, nobody trusts him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's this thing called the Society of Cincinnati. Of course. Uh, that Lafayette's in. And then everyone was like, it's a conspiracy to take over the United States. And John Adams is like, Lafayette it's created it. It's his fault. Um, it confused me a lot. The whole section about it was very confusing. <laughs> Everything about Cincinnati is confusing. But basically, it's like a secret society, quote unquote, kind of thing um, based around Cincinnatus who's, like, a Greek guy. And, like, they essentially are, like, Cincinnati is, like, George Washington. They're, like, the same. They're the exact um, same. They're totally the same. And Lafayette joined it when he was in America because it was just, like, I don't know. They were, like, do you want to be an end? He's, like, okay. Because uh, he's just, like, joining things, club. You <laughs> he know? doesn't really think before he leaves. <laughs> no. Someone invited him to a party. He's, like, He's, yeah. like, a foreign exchange student, and they invite him to be in a club. And he's, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That sounds great. I've heard about American clubs, and it sounds fun. Mm-hmm. I love societies. We live in a society. I love that we live in a society. <laughs> he's he's that kid who's like, I love that we live you in a society. You know what? We do live in a society. Society is so great. <laughs> it can be. We come together and we make something bigger than what we could do individually, and society is great. Yeah. But they start handing out, like, military-sounding titles to people. Love that. And John Adams says, no, 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 no. They're <gasps> going to take over the United States of America, which, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like— I guess props to them that you think they could. I don't know. Sure. Um, but I think he's worried that Lafayette is in it because Lafayette has a lot of money and power and influence, and he's seen him in war. So <laughs> then he's like— I mean, this is what he does, right? He comes with his money to uh-huh. the underdog, and he funds them, and then they take over the country. It did happen one time. It did happen. We just saw it happen. <laughs> but that's not a pattern. It's only one time. So it's not a pattern yet. But he sees this as, like, maybe Lafayette's trying to, like, sneak back into America to take it over for France— which, like, he's not. <laughs> he just got invited to a party. <laughs> and he said, okay. But how do you know? But you don't know. And they don't like the title. So Adams is like, absolutely not. And Jefferson also agrees it's bad. Which, that's not good. Because they don't agree about a lot of stuff. They don't agree about it. So it's probably bad. Um, and so a lot of people are like, wait, both of them think it's bad? Uh-oh. I think it might be bad. Ooh. Um, Ooh. And so Lafayette sends a letter to Washington, and he's like, is it okay that I'm in this? People are getting mad at me. Oh, and Washington's like... People mad? Oh, and he says to Washington, uh, you would be my compass. Like, tell me tell me where to go. Daddy, tell me what to do. Yeah, because, like, if it's bad, I don't want to be in it. Uh-huh. But, like, it seems okay, right? And Washington is like, seems fine. <laughs> Daddy, Because no. they really like him. Daddy, no. Because they call him Cincinnatus. Like, it's about celebrating him. He thinks it's just his little fan club. Yeah. So he's like, seems uh, fine. I think it sounds great. And so John Adams writes uh, <laughs> Lafayette a rude letter because uh, he hears Lafayette wants to come visit America mm-hmm. in, like, 1784. So it's, he's only been gone for two years. Yeah. And then he wants to come back to visit. For what? Mm-hmm. Literally. For so in, what? In John's letter, he basically says, like, hey, why are you coming back here? I mean, I guess, like, maybe it's to see your friends, but, like, what's your motive, fam? And Lafayette's, like, what's, very upset. What's your business here? <laughs> he's, like, very upset about it because he's, like, I thought I was friends. I mean, oh. Uh, and also, apparently, his English gets really bad when he's upset, which is the most adorable thing in the world. 
So Lafayette's motives are questioned about visiting by Adams, and he replies, A friendly letter I wrote you, and the one I received is not so affectionate as usual as to my going to America. I first went for the revolution. Now I am going for the people, and my motives are that I love them, and they love me, is that my arrival will please them, and that I will be pleased with the sight of those whom I have early joined in our noble cause, or noble and successful cause. How could I refrain from visiting a nation whose I am an adoptive son? And then you're going to rouse the people and form a mutiny and take over the country. Which, imagine with how, like, him literally asking Washington, should I leave the club? Like, he would never. Right. Would never. <laughs> yeah. He he cares about Washington more than he cares about France, I'm but pretty sure. Does uh, Does anyone else know that? Did he ask Washington? Yeah. I don't know. Probably then, not. Washington's not very talkative, so he probably was just like, you're okay, buddy. There's no proof. He's like, Washington said I could be in Also, it, this is why emojis are good. <laughs> you really can't read tone on one's letters. No. <laughs> it should have had, like, um, sad face emoji, but the people. But he's so, like, clearly <laughs> upset and confused. Um, about why Adams would think he has an ulterior motive, right? He just says, like, I love them. Like, why? Why? Um, eight weeks go by, and Adams doesn't answer this letter. You're a freak. And so Lafayette writes freak. him again and is like, hey, did you get my letter? I'm going to America on the 22nd. Do you want me to take any letters back for you? So he's, like, trying to, you know, mend fences and be like, I can take stuff for you if you want, like, because I'm visiting. Oh, you want to intercept my letters? <laughs> Now you're de- now you're opening my mail, and Adams is like, I didn't reply because your letter didn't imply that one needed to be replied to. I also, heard, no thanks, I can get my own mail. I heard your excuse, and I was impressed. You love America, you know, you like the people, <laughs> and so then Lafayette sends him another letter to try and repair Adams' trust, and Adam also ignores that one. This is just who. Um, John is. I know. I'm like, you just need to ignore him. He's just, nobody likes him, honey. Nobody likes him. You either have to commit to the dislike, like uh, Thomas Mm -hmm. does, or you have to just stop. I also wonder, I can't wait till Adams is elected president and, like, how Lafayette's going to feel about that. Everything is after gone wrong. This, especially right after Washington, who he's so in love with. <laughs> like, he has, he's going to have the exact same feelings that the American people have. Yeah. That, like, Washington is perfect and wonderful, and we love him in every way, and then what is this trash fire now? Nobody likes their new dad. <sighs> no. The, at first. No. Or afterwards. Yeah. Third dad might be better. Maybe. Maybe third dad. Third dad's a spender, <laughs> which is <laughs> hey, exciting. spender. <laughs> He gets a lot of lamb, though. Thanks. That's what I'm saying. From he gets, Napoleon. He gets that cash money, and he buys up Thanks. some lands <laughs> From the French, who definitely were there first. Yeah. You're welcome. And definitely owned it. <laughs> and definitely wanted to keep it for sure. <laughs> Didn't just need money for other projects. There were definitely <laughs> no one else living there. You definitely aren't they're... funding my war on the entirety of Europe. Thank you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's for the future. Right now, Lafayette's like, okay, fine, and he goes back to America on August 4th, 1784 is when he gets there. I think he leaves in, like, July 22nd or something. Um, and at first, nobody notices he's back, really, and he's like, oh, <laughs> where's my hello parade? Oh. But then he gets to Philly from New York. New Yorkers didn't care. He gets to Philly, and then everybody's like, hell yeah. They got a band of ceremonial soldiers come out to escort him. They're ringing church bells. They're partying. People coming Philly, out. Philly, Philly, Philly. Making all those balconies amorous. Yeah. 
Uh, James Madison wrote, Wherever Lafayette passes, he receives the most flattering tokens of sincere infection from all ranks. Except for New York, because New York kind of... Yeah. They didn't... He was, like, on a ship that was also carrying goods, so I think they just didn't know it was him, and they were also like, we got a lot of stuff going on. Like, they're still repairing from the war, especially in New York, because that's where uh, the British were stationed, like, basically the whole time. So they got a lot of broke-down stuff to fix, and then also they got a ton of loyalists just like, you know, the British should have won. And so they have to deal with that. Man, you're making me really <laughs> want to play Ask Creed 3 again. <laughs> so like, good. So much. It's great. I know, Lafayette's not in it, though. How upsetting. He should yeah. be. I just want to, like... just. I just want to see, like, around. I want, when you hang out with Washington, for him to have a cute little plucky marquee following him around. Be like, hello. Yes, hello. I'm also here. Bonjour. I am you, too. Um, Don't touch me. No, stop. <laughs> not in public. Um... So on September 14th, uh, he's in New York again, because he's just, like, going around. And they're, they're like, oh, so sorry, we didn't realize you were here earlier. Uh, Mayor James Duane gives him a gold box and a paper that says he's a freeman and citizen of the city of New York. Thanks. So now he's not just an honorary citizen of America. He's a New Yorker. <laughs> oh, great. The best kind. Hamilton's going to love that. Uh, and then I wrote in here to say, hey, I am looking here. <laughs> With a French accent. (laughs) Haley's leaving leaving. the room. She's upset with my joke. Too much. She is upset. (laughs) She shut the door. She doesn't like my joke. I bet somebody laughed, though. I'll come out. Okay. Okay, thanks. It was it. It was funny. You're on thin ice. Very thin ice. Very thin ice. (laughs) But uh, it's also hilarious because Lafayette couldn't have less of a New Yorker personality. (laughs) Like, he's so happy. He loves Americans. All of them. He loves them. Everybody. Oh, no, except for the English. And even when he was in London, he was like, I love it here. <laughs> Everyone's so pleasant. You're so dumb. Anyway. <laughs> so dumb. He's like a little baby. He's like a golden retriever. He's just like happy. It's like, true. I want pets and He's I want you to be happy. Tiny baby. Um, so he visits nine states uh, and he gets to be treated at every parties That's and most kindness. Of the states, yeah. Uh, especially since John is in Europe, so <laughs> nobody's here to complain about him. <laughs> Suck it, John. Go be depressed in Europe, John. Yeah, go cry in the Hague, John. That's where he is right now. Yeah, and he's like super sick at the time, I think. Oh, probably. Like when he goes to like Amsterdam and the Netherlands, he's like super sick. Ah. Uh. Get so wrecked. He's uh, having a real bad time. He's like, I might die. This he's is like, oh, terrible. So the boy's gonna take over America while I'm gone. At least, uh, <laughs> at least I'll learn something from this yeah. and be nicer to my fellow man. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Lafayette, you know, is visiting America um, to kind of try out what he might be. You know. Uh, who, who am I? You know how, like, Americans will be like, I'm going to take a backpacking trip through Europe? That's what Lafayette's doing in America. He's doing this he's like, year. Yeah. He's like, this is my opportunity to figure out, like, what am I going to do? Because I have to have a job, but we're not at war. Uh, I don't—and nobody's letting me be an ambassador. So, like, what do I do, you know? Do do nobility still need jobs in France? Like, is that a thing? It's expected that they have some sort of job. Just be a landowner. Just, like, farm or yeah. something. Yeah. I mean, that's what he should do, but well, he's, like... He, I think he has a lot of farmland in the area he's at. No. <laughs> be a shepherd. But he's, like, a Virgo, you know? He's, like, I have <laughs> ambition. Like, I'm a Virgo. And I want to I do what I love and love what I do. Mm-hmm. So I got to find something I'm passionate about. I can't just work. I can't just have money. I gotta have plans. I have to have purpose. I have dreams. 
Um, and it, he feels a lot more free in America to, like, think about it and, like, talk about it because, you know, in France, they have a very specific idea of exactly what he's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And in America, he can kind of just do whatever he wants. That is the, the one, like, real beauty of America is you can kind of just do what you want. Yeah, like, less is expected of you. Um, he joins the Republic of Letters, which is basically like Enlightenment pen pals from all over the world. <laughs> Enlightenment pen pals. They just pals. write letters to each other about how good the Enlightenment is. We gotta, we gotta think more. We gotta make more. We gotta be more. Let's do it, fam. Let's just write letters about how horny we are for knowledge. Yeah. Hell yeah. And he joins the American Philo- Philosophical Society in Philly, which is founded by... Uh... Governor Morris. Benjamin Franklin. Yep. Governor Morris is from New York. Uh, but he's in Philly. Who's our most famous? Oh, just the one time with the leg. That's all I think about. <laughs> That's his most important Benny moment. Benny Franks is the most famous Philadelphian there ever was. I thought he was in France. He is, but he's from Philadelphia, who established oh. this before he left. Anyway, so Lafayette gets really into science and something Parisians are really abuzz about right now. They're especially nobles. They're like super into They love science. They're like so cutting edge. So into science right now. Because they have money and they have time, so they can just think about stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what they're really interested in right now? Uh, they're interested in a lot of stuff. Magnetics. There's a specific thing Chemi- in France. Chemistry. Hot air balloons. Oh, sure. The hot air balloon was just invented, and they had their first flight in Versailles, and everyone's like, flying, though? That's so cool. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure we're... We're all going to fly. We're all just going to fly everywhere. Wee! In the next 10 years, everyone's going to have yeah, a balloon. Their own balloon. Yep. Everyone. That's when women start uh, making their hair look like balloons and their, their <laughs> yeah. dresses, and, you know, they're freaking stoked. Balloon. Balloon again. Love that for us. Um... But the boy is also easily tricked. <laughs> He's very naive. And he invests in these rubber shoes that can make people walk on water. <sighs> but lucky for him, um, clearly everyone's like, that's a scam. And so the person who is collecting money donates it to charity. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lafayette was the largest contributor to that well, experiment. Huh. So uh, at least it went to a good cause. He's also really into um, animal magnetism, right? Am I right? Am I right? So Mesmer is the one talking about that. And um, he thinks that's like for realsies. That's the way. That's the being. That's you know, the, that's that's the path. Uh, that it's it's like it's just stupid. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's like the idea that like. Uh, we can vibe with the animals at just the right frequency to bring harmony to the universe, and then they won't, like, attack yeah. us and stuff. It doesn't make sense, really. Um, but also, like, not the weirdest no. theory coming out of now. Definitely not the weirdest. So um, also, like, when, uh, like, people are getting new discoveries of new animals yeah. all the time. Right. So people are really obsessed with chimeras. And, For like, sure. People are starting to get, uh, like, an inkling of... Like exotic lands yeah. and not right. not quite Darwinism yet, but we're still like, wow, there's like changes in different animals and yeah. werewolves the, and whatever. To a certain effect, the reins are kind of off as far as like it, it's a time of great expansion of knowledge where like anything could be true now. Yeah. Right? It's it's a similar like to the Renaissance of like, well, <laughs> we're challenging the things we really believe with right. like potential future discoveries because discoveries are being made. Things mm-hmm. are changing. But then it gets out of hand where they're like, well, it could be anything. Well, lizards could be running the it's, earth. And it's you're like, like okay, um, okay. After a big <laughs> okay. Um, extinction event, 
the uh, the pressures of just surviving mm-hmm. are much less, and everything yeah. flourishes yep. in really weird ways. But not everything survives. Yeah, things things don't work out, um, including animal magnetism. Uh, and uh, Lafayette's so into it that he hears that Benny Franks is like, that's fake. Uh, and he's like, you're ridiculous. I think that's fake. <gasps> no. And I'm like, sweetie. How dare Benjamin you? Benjamin Franklin is so intelligent and so wise and specifically a scientist. He's like, <laughs> he could be a time traveler. He 100% could be. He could be. Uh, he is a, you know, um, a Da Vinci man of all trades situation. Mm-hmm. So, like, sit down, please. Um, and so Benny Franks um, joins a uh, committee in France to disprove Mesmer, and they do. Um, so he's like, yeah, that's garbage. That's, yeah, not real. that's not real. And they say his science is basically like a chimera. It's just like a bunch of fake nonsense. Yeah. Okay, He's tricking you. It's really exciting, and it sounds cool, but it's not it's real. It's not real. Um, and Lafayette, I guess at no point really, like, denounces it, but he does stop talking about it. <laughs> so Ooh. he figured it out. Yeah. Well, good for you, because a lot of people, when faced with uh, facts, uh-huh. will double down. True. He kind of just moves along, which yeah. is what you should do. Just move along. You, know? you don't even really need to admit you're wrong. Just yeah. kind of press forward, unless you, like, miseducated a lot of people. Then you should admit it. <laughs> you should maybe be like, hey, I was wrong about that thing But if I all said. you do is send your friends letters to calling them stupid and then you change your ways, they'll realize what happened they'll, and they'll they'll forgive you they'll probably. Hear, they'll hear you. Yeah. But what Lafayette is most excited about to be in France is that he's going to go visit George Washington at Mount Vernon. Oh, boy. He's so excited. Gonna go meet daddy. That's my dad. That's my dad. That's my dad. (laughs) And Washington invited him, saying, come and view me in my domestic walks. No man could receive you in them with more friendship and affection than I should do. Wow, imagine having any loyalty to France at this point. Yeah. (laughs) When George Washington, like, loves you. Yeah. Like, what? That is, like, such a affectionate thing to say to him. He's very affectionate in the way that he talks about Lafayette, which I find very strange. Because you just... He comes off as, like, very kind of, like, you know, this kind of stereotypical dad feel of, like, (laughs) he doesn't talk about emotions, but, like, sometimes he'll just hug you and be like, I'm proud of you. But, like, only one time, and it was like he was drunk, and it was a long time ago. Like, he'll invite you out to, like, go on a walk Mm -hmm. or look at some ducks. Yeah. But he doesn't say anything about, like, I'm really proud of you. He maybe does, but then you're like, huh? And he doesn't repeat it. What? he's like, anyway. What did you say? And he's like, anyway, let me me show you my new donkey. Yeah. Uh, But he gets there on August 17th, and he stays for 10 days. So they got an extended visit here. Uh, Lafayette only leaves the grounds one time and uh, clearly just wants to hang out with his dad. You know, he's like, I don't need to go anywhere. I'm here for dad. What else is there? Why Why else would I even be, bother? Uh, he writes to Adrian about how wonderful it is just reading and conversing and relaxing there with his friends. He is accompanied by this guy, and he's like, oh, he's probably really bored because <laughs> we're not doing anything because uh, he's from France, too. So yeah. he's like, he probably wants to, like, see stuff, but I'm vibing, dude. He, he saw stuff. Yeah. He, he did the, the world tour during the war. He also gives um, Adrian a list of items he wants to put in his office when he gets home. Oh, he, like, um, he, he, he spied Dad's desk. He's like, this is what I need to complete yeah. it. And he would like a barometer, a declaration of independence, and a smoke machine. <laughs> okay. 
normal. <laughs> God, he's such a Virgo sometimes. <laughs> Which apparently by smoke machine, it's like a device that um, lessens the amount of smoke that gets into your house from a fireplace. Oh, sure. Like it helps get it back into the mm-hmm. uh, chimney. But uh, I like it better as like a fog machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. A barometer, I don't know, the Declaration of Independence, and a fog machine. Please. This is Adrian. All I want. My wife, please. Uh, so we're talking about slavery for a little bit. I was going to say, like, does he have any um, <laughs> opinions living on he a... He does. ...on a slave ranch for 10 days? So he doesn't mention slavery in, like, his letters too much. Uh-huh. Uh, like, he doesn't... Specifically to the French. He doesn't talk to them about, like, what slavery is like in America. Do they still have Um, slavery technically, or have they abolished it? They have slavery in their colonies, Uh but not in France itself. Okay. And they never really do. Like, they have some people, but it's never, like, to, you know, the extreme that it is in America or in other places. Um, Yeah. They just don't really—I think even— I think even at the time, they're like, this is unsightly, and I don't think we need it. <laughs> that's true. It is unsightly. It's like, and that's, it's, like, what French people really care about. It is fine for it to be there, just in the colonies. Yeah, not here. Where we don't have to look at it. Yeah, that's not good. And it's like the colonies are where these things are being produced. They don't have plantations in France, mm-hmm. so they don't need slaves Unlike or, the, like, enslaved people to be running them. You know, the poor people are so under control, they don't need—why um, have slaves when you just have poor people? Yeah, Exactly. Who do the work we, anyway. We have serfs um, who are, uh, I guess, not really serfs anymore, but we have uh, indentured servants <laughs> yeah. who are in debt prison, only let out because of this. Yeah. So that's fine. And they're white. So yeah. it's, they, they're French. So it's fine. Why, why have slaves when you have indentured servants who are basically still slaves? Yeah. Good enough. Good enough. Debt slaves. You know? But, so, but Laura points out that Lafayette also doesn't mention his grievances about America to French people at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he's worried that any negative opinions he has about America will only exacerbate their feelings about America, which are already negative usually, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, especially during the war. So he didn't ever tell them anything. I think even after, you know, because he's trying to uh, get them to work together, he doesn't want to complain about America to France to give them any more ammunition because I'm sure he's hearing complaints about Americans constantly Uh because the French love to complain and everyone's worse than them. In their mind. Yeah. So uh, you don't need to give them much. So he's specifically avoiding talking about anything unsightly at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But? But uh, Lafayette does write to Washington, um, and this is, uh, you know, this communicates how he feels about it. Uh, He writes to him a year or so uh, before he visits, uh, requesting... um, in purchasing a small estate where we may try to experiment to free the Negroes and use them only as tenants. Such an example as yours might render it general practice. Then, uh, or and if we succeed in America, I will cheerfully devote a part of my time to render the methods fashionable in the West Indies. He's really trying. Yeah. So, <laughs> in the, like, most polite way possible he's like i don't like the slavery i'm seeing in america that's so something about it's so relatable it's exactly what you would say if you had a family member who didn't you didn't agree with politically Mm -hmm. you're like what if we just tried it yeah like what if we just try something else out like Uh, what if we try not saying the r word (laughs) you know or like what if we uh you know 
don't don't ask people their nationality when we see them. What if we just tried saying Black Lives Matter? Yeah. What if we just try? Ooh, just mm, try it. What if we just try? We just try it. Yeah. So it's like completely. You know, it's very calm. It's yeah. very kind. It's very hopeful, which is all of what he does. It's very not gonna work. Yes. Um, but appreciate that you care and that you're trying. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, no, but no one person is gonna fix it, and. The least you can, you know, the best you can hope for with people at the time, I think, like historical figures, is that they understand that it's an issue and they do think that something needs to be done. And he is actively trying to think of ideas, you know. Mm -hmm. He thinks that if they see, uh, you know, black people able to act of their own accord and to work as, you know, regular civilians, um, that they will see that they're human. Yeah. And, like, they won't. But like, what a nice idea! He's he and, sure you know, has a nice idea, and he's right. They haven't tried that in America, <laughs> so it's possible that it would help. What if? Um, what if we just pretended for a moment they were humans, mm-hmm. and then maybe you'll believe it? Yeah, and like you know, like I said, the French are doing this in their colonies, and he mentions that. Like, if yeah. we make it work here. Uh, I'm going to try to fix it elsewhere. Like, he has that ambition. He clearly sees it as a problem not only for America, but also for France. Like, it's, to him, it's a dual issue for both of the places that he loves, and he wants to fix it. And it's such a, if you like America at the time, especially if you're an outsider, Uh it must be so jarring. It's like, gosh, you know, the paper that you wrote does say all these things about equality and Mm -hmm. menhood and we we the people, but then... But then there's like this, uh, I can't help but notice. What's up with that, though? Ooh, there's like this thing, though. You know, those are people, right? And oh. they're like, disagree. Ooh, do you not, ooh, did you not know that they're people? Though? He's like, oh. Oh, um, oh, I don't think they know they're people. <laughs> but Lafayette ends this later, or this letter saying, if it be a wild scheme, I had rather be mad at that way than to be thought wise on the other tack. Yeah. So he's like, I understand this might sound weird, but <laughs> like, out. I'd rather be on the side of being an abolitionist yeah. and sound like a crazy person than be smart and be okay with it. Yeah. And I'm like, that seems very earnest, and I feel very bad for you that, like, with Washington, w- will not work. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, bless this sweet, idealistic man. <laughs> he wants so badly to be able to fix the problems he sees, and he's, like, aware of them. Yeah. And honestly, impressive that he's so idealistic with being faced with such severe problems. Mm-hmm. Like, he sees really terrible things, and he understands that they're bad, but he has, like, very strong belief that they can be improved and that he can be a part of that. Yeah. And that's lovely. <laughs> like, And so rare in a historical figure that you read about them really thinking they can, like— fix anything. Sure. A lot of times they're just like, especially in their own writing, they they sound like they're just punching at a brick wall right? Like constantly. In something he thinks that he can fix, and it's not his problem. Like, yeah. You do see a lot of, uh, like, freed 
slaves at this mm-hmm. time and a lot of like Quakers and a lot of yeah people who have pretty vested close interests right be openly abolitionist yeah at the time yeah but for just like this French guy to visit be like hey I noticed that your country is not good this is kind of gross that my there's guy. like a rotten core at the center of your yeah. nice apple and mm-hmm. I thought you might want well, what are we let's let's brainstorm some ideas and then instead of being judgmental about it, he wants just to fix it. Mm-hmm. That he's like, America can be better, and I know they can. I just need to help them understand this. And, like, that's very nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it Once again, it won't work, obviously. It won't work. But it's very nice. And Washington replies with, you are such a nice boy. Oh. Uh, let's talk about it in person oh. in, like, a year or so. Yeah. And we don't know if they did or not, um, but... Uh, they don't talk about it anymore. That, that was a soft no. Yeah. But he does He does make a point to say, like, Lafayette's got, like, a very kind heart that he's like, I can tell you care a lot, you know? Man, if you can see that someone has a kind heart by wanting to free the slaves, maybe also have a kind heart. I think, see, but, like, as far as I understand, Washington is conflicted about it, and he does think it's a problem. He just also knows, like a lot of plantation owners do, that he can't survive without them. That at this point, they're so dependent on them that it's like, there's no way we could free them and, like, function. And if country's so new, I'm not, and I'm not, like, trying to make arguments for why it's good or okay. That's their. Um, But this is their idea that, like, the country's so new, we need this money, we're still barely, you know, hanging on as it is, trying just to organize our government. We can't just do this, too. It sure is nice to not have to pay laborers. (laughs) Yes. In it. Uh Uh-huh. In it, though. But, uh, to his credit, Lafayette is not dissuaded by this in any way, uh, which, honestly, I'm impressed with because... He he loves Washington so much that mm-hmm. I think it would be really easy uh, to think that Washington is just going to talk him into thinking it's okay. Yeah. Or, like, he's just going to, uh, like, accept that Washington does it and that's okay and just going to give up. And No. Like, he strongly believes that in abolitionism and he's not just going to give up because of this. He I think he gives up with Washington because I think at this point he's like, he's not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he does try to persuade Virginia to abolish slavery because at the time when he's visiting in uh, 1784, a bunch of northern states have decided they're not doing slavery anymore. And a bunch of them are talking about not doing it anymore. They, they're like, I don't really like this now that, you know, the yeah. British aren't here. He makes two speeches about abolishing slavery in Virginia, trying to persuade them, um, which obviously doesn't work. But. Uh, and, and, you know, because Virginia is so far north that he's like, maybe we can get them. All these northern states are doing it. And I'm like, ah, unfortunately, this is the thing that splits them to the south. Yeah. This is where they cement themselves as the south. Because I agree. Every time I think about Virginia being the south, it's very weird because it's like they are so far north. And it's like kind of annoying to my brain because I want it to be lower. Mm-hmm. I want the south to be halfway. Yeah. I want it to be like Kentucky, um, you know, or Tennessee it's, or something. Uh, so solidly plantation. But because of this, yeah, Virginia. There's a reason why so many founding fathers came from Virginia is because they were all rich. Yeah. Because they all um, didn't pay their workers. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we love a boy who's willing to try and fight oppression, even and maybe especially when it's unpopular and you don't succeed, you know? Still trying. yeah. Still trying. Uh, And I mean, honestly, and good for him for calling out Washington at all. 
Yeah, it's that's pretty ballsy. It's, it's a yeah. One thing, like when you personally know him, yeah. Like I know there are definitely people who uh, will write letters to whoever the president is at the time. Mm-hmm. I really need to read the letter. I forget who sent it. Someone sent a letter to Thomas Jefferson when he was <laughs> yeah. president, and they're like, "Here are all the reasons why slavery is bad, and we shouldn't have it anymore." And he's right. All the way through. And yeah. I forget how Jefferson responds, but clearly he didn't respond with, you're right. Yeah, let's do it. Abolish it. <laughs> you're right. Ha I personally despise the slave system. You know what? I agree. Me. And I'll stop doing it immediately. Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, he writes a testimonial um, for James Armistead uh, to be freed, who is uh, enslaved by uh, this guy Armistead, but he fought with Lafayette in the war. Yeah. So Lafayette writes that James had perfectly acquitted himself with some important commissions I have um, or I gave him and appears to me entitled to every reward his situation can admit of. So writes him a fantastic letter being like he was so useful. And if you can free him, like, I do think that's the appropriate thing to do. If if Rome could make it work where you just work in the military for so long. Yeah. You're a citizen. Come on. What? Right. And we're all basing this off Rome. Like, let's get it. How can Come on. We're so neoclassicist, but not... Not this one, though. Uh, oh, but there's, um, there's weren't the black people. Uh, I mean, sometimes... some Yeah! Sometimes they were. Rome was an in, enormously multicultural, multiracial it's empire. It's true. What are you talking about? No, I agree. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he writes this letter, and two years later, um, James is freed, and he takes the surname Lafayette to replace Armistead, oh. because Armistead was his um, yeah. former master's name. Hell with him. Yeah. So he takes Lafayette's name because Lafayette wrote them that nice letter, and he's the one who he liked did the work for that got him able to be freed. So oh, that's nice. It is. And it's nice because it's like not only is Lafayette doing the work with his friends, like with Washington, he's doing the work politically, like making these speeches, and then he's also doing it in this like microcosm way with people he knows. Mm-hmm. That it's like, you can't ask for a better ally, my guy. <laughs> like he's doing all the things. I like um, how, how can thank you, you fight with someone in a war and, like, kill people with someone, and you're like, now go back to the fields. Yeah, I mean... Non-human. Ask, you know, all the people who did do that, I guess. And same thing in, like, the world wars as well. Civil war. (laughs) I mean, civil war goes without uh, saying. Yeah. So it's kind of the thing. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we love an abolitionist getting things done, like... He, I think he recognizes that, like, his other efforts aren't working, and I think he's like, this is something I can actually do. Like, this is something where I could um, make a big difference, and he does. I like how he's still—it's still honest to his original letter to John Adams. He's like, I love the Americans, and I just want to, like, meet my friends and help. It's Mm -hmm. like— And yeah. this is, he's helping. This he is, is what he considers helping. And he he's does. Right. He loves Americans. That includes the ones that other Americans don't think are humans. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, I love America and I want to make it better, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's not all. He's corresponding with abolitionists all around the world. He's reading their books. He's quoting them. Um, Benny Franks, who's the president of uh, Philadelphia Society for the Abolition of Slavery. You can just say president of Philadelphia. <laughs> he's just the president of Philadelphia. <laughs> um, he sends Lafayette copies of his society's constitution. Um, because they're talking about it. I'm sure he's overjoyed that Lafayette is an abolitionist, which, you know, I got to say, you know, Benjamin Franklin had enslaved people that worked for him. Mm -hmm. So, like, you, it is a complicated situation where, like, you can 
uh, have enslaved people in your house and still be an abolitionist. Um, it's complicated. And he does, like, free them if they ask. And I, you know, to a certain extent, I, I think it's kind of like, well, where else are they going to go? Um, but... Yeah, like it's it's a complicated I like pay situation. Them. I agree. Just pay them. <laughs> I agree. I don't know that he didn't. I don't know enough about it. I just know that we like mentioned it briefly. Yeah. Because I knew that he was such a strong abolitionist that when I heard he had slaves, I was like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. You know, um, or enslaved people. But uh, yeah, a, a few, because <laughs> you know the North. Um, so yeah, it's it's complicated, but you know Benjamin Franklin's very excited to hear about this. Yeah, my friend, uh, and I'm sure like he, you know, he's spending a lot of time talking to Jefferson and Washington and all these guys with their humongous plantations, and he's like, thank goodness, like this kid isn't with them. Yeah. Uh, gosh. Uh, he also joins a group, uh, Lafayette, called uh, a French group called the Society of the Friends of the Blacks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and apparently, uh, continues this cause uh, even into the French Revolution. Um, where uh, some people would argue that there are more pressing matters. <laughs> but that's, you know, we appreciate it. It's nice that you thought of us. We're glad that you still care. Yeah. <laughs> Although other things are happening. You seem a little stretched um, thin at the moment. But I appreciate that you have beliefs and you won't stop talking about them even when the other things maybe are more important. <laughs> Thank you for thinking at the moment. of us. Take like, care. I don't want, you know, I don't want to say there are more important things than abolishing slavery, but in your country where it doesn't really exist, and then also everybody's starving to death, uh, yeah. I mean, if everyone Not died, the time. Everyone dying is also equality. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. You know, uh, the the French uh, phrase, you know, fraternity, equality. <laughs> they didn't mention that they had to live. Yeah, everybody dies. Equality. Everybody dies together. Um... And no abolitionist this time is thinking we all just free everyone automatically. Like, we just let all enslaved people go. Mm-hmm. Like, no one is doing that. Yeah, that's, They're all like, that's so radical. Exactly. And, it, and honestly, like, as with most, uh, you know, kind of like intensely radical ideas, it's not um, feasible. Like, it wouldn't work because uh, humans aren't good at that, making like it instant rapid change uh just not the way we function and so mostly what they're trying to do is um convince people and governments to end the slave trade and then to gradually free enslaved people over time like to incorporate them into society slowly in a way that everybody can be like cool with and not you know explode the country into the chaos well, I guess we could always try exploding it. It will not work out that way, <laughs> but we can explode it later. Call I, me in a hundred years. I, I we'll guess see we, how we're doing. I guess we're just going to have to explode it. I mean, if it doesn't work the other way. <laughs> because being radical was too hard. I yep. guess we should just explode. We, uh, for some reason, nobody would agree to the slow method, so I guess this is all we have. Anyway, like I said, French colonies are the only place where slavery is permitted um, in the French Empire. So he's trying to improve their lives there as well, like get them better living conditions and just generally like kind of create a standard of care that enslaved people have to have. uh, Because, you know, obviously they're not being cared for very well. And um, (laughs) Lafayette, you know. Bless his heart, um, has an idea. And he's like, you know what I'll do? I will buy property in the colonies and I'll have a plantation and own enslaved people um, so that I can show how to do it correctly. He's doing the he's doing the middle ground thing. 
think it's intended to be a middle ground thing. He's trying to do what he talked to Washington about, which was the experiment yeah. that he wanted to do. But to do that, he is now um, enslaving people. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what he's against. Like I know he I don't I don't care about what his intentions are. He's finding the weird middle ground it's, where no yeah. one is happy. Yeah. Um, but so he's trying what, I he, did, what he wants to do. I didn't know it was possible to find the middle ground <laughs> on this topic, but he, he did. On abolitionism. Uh, especially when he's been so strongly in a singular position. Um, but what his hope is, is that he's going to have this plantation, and he's going to treat them well and show an example to other plantation owners and to the French government, like, that this can work, and that, like, slowly over time, he's going to... Uh, like, start paying them and releasing them, mm-hmm. and that, like, then the French government will see, like, hey, we can still function in the colonies and, like, with our, you know, growing of things if they are not enslaved. Right? So that's the plan. It does sound like a plan. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he naively doesn't see any problems with this plan. <laughs> what, what problem could there possibly be? <laughs> anyway, um, so back to a strip in America. That's later. Um... He goes along with the United States um, to signing a treaty with the Six Nations, um, mm-hmm. just to support. You know, like they don't, they're not, he's not there to do anything. Yeah. Um, but you know, he worked with the Six Nations previously and was kind of like a liaison with them. So he, he wants to go see how they're doing. Yeah. Um, he makes a little speech to them in France or in France in, in France in French with his friends. But he also like incorporates like. Uh, their lore and, like, different elements of their culture into what he's talking about because he knows a lot about them. Like, he spent a lot of time with them and heard a lot of their stories. And so he's able to, uh, like, really tug at their heartstrings while he's there. He's all they really care about, like, as far as anyone making speeches, even though, like I said, he's not even here for... uh, Mm -hmm. He was just here to say hi, but everybody is, like, really into him specifically. (laughs) Uh, You know how they do. And... uh, um, Europeans and Americans who are present are both mad about that because uh, yeah. they're like, we're doing something. Uh, and he's like, but I love them. This is not about you. Um, but the tribes that didn't join him in the war uh, of the Six Nations apologized to him that mm-hmm. they regret that they didn't join in, um, you know, that they that they were doing what was best. But they clearly see like, you know, that didn't go there the way they thought it would and that it wasn't against him or France. That that's just what they thought, and he's like, "Yeah, I understand." Seemed like a better deal. Yeah, not, and not um, convinced we're wrong yet. Yeah, we'll and they see. refer to Lafayette as our father, um, which is apparently they called the French that for a century. Mm. So it's a very affectionate title, you know. And they're calling Lafayette that as well to communicate, like, "Hey, we really, we really care about you, and we love the French." Now, um, now you're the daddy. Yeah, hi, daddy. Uh, James Madison is there. Um, he's also here. He's there. James Madison. Uh, <laughs> he's watching with interest, <laughs> and he writes to Jefferson um, about Lafayette. Of course. Uh, I take him to be as amiable a man as his vanity will admit, and as sincere an American as any Frenchman can be. Um, which, besides him being referred to as vain, Laura and I agree with the sentiment. Like, uh, James Madison is seeing kind of Lafayette's enthusiasm as vanity. Like, yeah. he sees him doing that speech like he's trying to steal the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wasn't. Like, he he just earnestly really likes the Six Nations and is happy to be here. It is, uh, yeah, it's hard to uh, say you know? Yeah. I mean, it's possible, but, like, from, you know, Laura, like, reading his letters and from everything that I've read about him, it doesn't really seem like he's that vain. Mm-hmm. It seems like he wants credit for what he does. Yeah. And it seems that 
uh, you know, he is very enthusiastic about these things, but it doesn't seem like he's like, I'm the best, you know, I am deserving. And he can be really humble about things right. um, when necessary. So is he is he doing all these things because it's the right thing to do or just because it's his calling or is he doing it to like better himself? Yeah. And it's like, it could be all the things. Yeah. But I don't think that he inherently comes off as vain, whereas, like, I think a lot of people at the time are very vain. Mm -hmm. So, like, that interpretation, I think, makes sense. You know, that uh, John Adams is seeing him as a schemer. James Madison is seeing him in a much kinder light, but as, like, kind of full of himself. Um, And I think think John's take is... Also vanity, just in a slightly more antiquated sense. Yeah. And that it's, it is for him. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's that doing he, it. That they, everyone thinks he's doing it selfishly. Yeah. And from all accounts of, like, how he is talking to everyone, it doesn't seem that way. Mm-hmm. It seems that he is getting benefit out of it, of course. Yeah. Um, but that his, you know, goal is not his own betterment. That his goal is the betterment of, like, society and both of the countries. And just he's, like, happy to help. <laughs> and it's just, like, he's so positive that everyone's, like, he's doing something. Yeah. What is he doing, though? I'd say that's fair. <laughs> just because, uh... Yeah. If it was for, it is fair. If it was for vanity, he would have... I think he sh- probably would have made different choices. 100%. Because, like, he's he, so subservient in the war. He doesn't do the popular thing, uh, especially later. True. He does the the in-between thing. He does. Um, and, and I think during the war, he would have put, been a lot more flamboyant and a lot less listening. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at the end of the war, he doesn't get chosen to be the second in command, even though Lawrence is like, it should have been you. Yeah. And he's like, that's okay. Like, he outranks me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and it's that kind of humility where I'm like, I don't think he's vain. Like, yeah. I, that seems like he understands his position and he's accepting it. Like, he just wants to be involved. <laughs> he right. just wants to be invited. He's just happy to be here. The, the purpose of this is not to advance his position. No. Or his uh, career, his importance. Yeah, and he, one, he hasn't seen the Six Nations in years, and he just, he likes them, you mm-hmm. know? He's like, they like me, and I like that. They gave me a cool name. We're <laughs> they, friends. They gave me a name. I like just any, want to hang out. Anybody who gives him affection, he's just very, he needs affection. <laughs> They're offering. But he's happy to see old friends and meet new people. And he is here. Uh, this is part's going to counteract the vein a little bit. Um, he is here to ensure that his name is in the history books about the war. <laughs> he's, um, uh, yeah. Because everyone, just you a, know. Just a little vain. I don't even think it's vain. He just wants, like I said, it's honor. He wants credit. And I understand. And he deserves it. Uh, and he does get it, obviously, mm-hmm. in our thing. Um but he knows that people are starting to write about the war now. Like, it's got, yeah. got some distance, and people are gathering um, accounts to, like, write out each battle to figure out what happened and to summarize it into history books. Mm-hmm. And, um, which, you know, gosh, wouldn't he love Hamilton? I'm in there, whole song, great times, me and Washington, being friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I'm like... You know, now that we've heard about all this abolitionist stuff, I'm like, I think he'd love to be played by David Diggs. And he's like, I get, yeah. oh, I'm a black guy in this. Like, that's fun. I'm a very handsome black guy. Whereas I feel like Thomas Jefferson would have much different feelings about being played by David Diggs. Yeah, like, are you trying to say something? <laughs> they are. Um, yeah. But it's it's cute to me now that I know, because I didn't know Lafayette's position before, that I'm like, oh, that's actually really cute now. Because mm-hmm. it, it does, you know, even, I don't know, I guess I don't know how much... 
Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda knows about that either. Um, how much like Ron Chernow talked about in his book. But it does make that fun dichotomy even more interesting of kind of like, oh, Lafayette was really into abolitionism and you know, Thomas Jefferson is the exact opposite. So then being played by the same guy who is black is fun. 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 Uh, anyway, so Parson Gordon is writing a prominent history book, which is Lafayette's main concern because he kind of knows his is going to be popular. Mm-hmm. And so he asks Jane McHenry, um, who is a former aide-de-camp of his, uh, to write down everything he remembers from the battles, uh, if he could summarize it, and then give it to Washington and that Washington should give it to Gordon because Gordon likes Washington. And Gordon, I think, sort of likes James. Mm-hmm. So it's like, put me in the best light we can here and see what I did. Uh-huh. I did do things. Um, could you tell him? And tell him uh, I was a beautiful golden child. Tell him what I did. And Gordon apparently hated, like, a lot of people. <laughs> so uh, this is, like, strategic to be like, he likes these people, though. Um and Gordon, at the beginning, uh, when he describes Lafayette, is not very kind in his book and in his letters about him. That he's like, yeah, he just kind of like ran away. And like a lot of people are describing it as like, oh, it was just real lucky. Like, did he do anything? Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't like James McHenry's uh, account because he's like, it's real flowery and just like kind of disorganized and not a fan. Um, but... Uh, Laura posits that either Lafayette's popularity with the people at the time, or maybe Gordon just calms down a little bit as he's <laughs> writing it. Um, kind of wears himself out as but he's he, writing. He ends up at the end, Lafayette comes off in the history book as a hero. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you could say he's not very good in battle, maybe. Like, in some of the battles, maybe not so good. Yeah. Um, it's hard to discount that he got us French aid. Yeah. You know, like, you, you really can't take that away from him. So I think at, at the end of the day, kind of, he has to be a hero. Like, there's no other real way to frame it. Um, like, do you want to win the war or do you want to not <laughs> yeah. win the war? I mean, if you you can't argue that, like, the French aren't the reason we win the war. Like, speaking of people who are bad at battles, uh, George yeah. Washington. <laughs> right. So it's not like winning battles. Wins also, the war. Benedict Arnold, uh-huh. who won a lot of battles. And yet. And yet. He lost the war because he switched. He, mm. he lost his war. That's true. So it's like, you know... Uh, Winning battles is not the only thing. Lafayette deserves to be uh, lauded because, yeah, like, you are a strong reason why we win, if not the main reason, so thank you. Um, but I love how, like, worried Lafayette is about it when that is true. That he's like, put my little battle stuff in there. Because he cares about being a military guy, so he's like, but yeah. I did stuff. <laughs> I'm just like, it's okay! Because I think also he he doesn't, like, the French don't know what he did either. So mm-hmm. I think a part of this is, like, dual purpose of, like, I want you to write down how good I was here so that when I go home, if there's a war, <laughs> my, my, I can prove it. My other home, which is incredibly vanity-based, <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. what I did. <laughs> right. It's like, is he vain or just operating in a very vain <laughs> system? Yes. Which this is the only thing people care about. Yeah, like, um, yeah you kind of have to. Like, that's that's all anyone yeah. cares about. Otherwise, like... There's not a time in France where there is more vanity than right now. <laughs> it's very And vague. it's going to crash down all around Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so we're going to... So Laf- that's the end of Lafayette's trip. He goes back to France. And uh, this is where we're going to get uh, just, just a little bit real quick into, uh, like, some... some uh, we're putting the the kettle on the stove mm. to start boiling up to the French Revolution. Is that, is that smoke I smell? Mmm, <laughs> mm, tasty. Yeah. 
Is it the burning flesh of nobles? We'll see. Mm, what is that? Um, so despite being intensely wealthy, as we described previously, a disgusting amount of money he's getting mm-hmm. from the crown, uh, Lafayette is currently spending more money than he's making, um, which, like, probably a lot of that was on the war. Yeah. But also it's, a, you know, they Laura goes through his accounting and it's like, oh, he is not per box. And he's spending a lot of money on tailoring and, <laughs> and he bought like a that. plantation. He sure did. And, a, and he buys a really humans. big house that she talks about for 10 pages. So yeah. it's like there's, and his house is like multiple blocks. It's huge. Yeah. So it's like, I get it. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Like, get, he's like, get me a smoke machine from the future. It costs a lot of money. It's like the richer you get, the more you forget that you spend so much money. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm constantly amazed at how much, uh, how often you hear about celebrities being in debt. Yeah. And it's because they're spending so much for the appearance. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same in the French Revolution, yeah. right? Or like during the French Revolution, right before, uh, in French court, that you have to spend this much money for appearances. Mm-hmm. And so then you bankrupt yourself. Right. Like you could uh, <laughs> live like a peasant and just last forever. Yeah. And not have to work or do anything. Um, but, you know, then... You could even buy some nice things. Yeah. And just not, you know, rent very fancy cars or get... He, I mean, he was doing, like, 3,000 livres of tailoring a month. Yeah. Which is disgusting. <laughs> That's crazy. Off with his head. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> too much. Too much for fancy clothes. Too much. Too much. Um, we should just put the clothes in the guillotine. And I am sure, uh, and, and they're operating on a system of credit, which I am sure will not collapse and ruin everything. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? It's not like money's real anyway. It's all imaginary. <laughs> so in uh, January 13th, 1787, uh, I'll remind you, the French Revolution 1789. Uh, it happens so fast. It's one of my favorite things about it is how It, it really does. Fast. It's, it it's, happens. It's like, um, you know, when you're trying, it's literally like when you're trying to boil water, where you like look and look and look and it's not <laughs> happening and then suddenly it's boiling over and you're like, wait a minute. Ah, what? When did that happen? When did this happen? As soon as I stop looking. Always. Uh, so the, the heat is on. January 13th, 1787, uh, Lafayette writes a very positive letter about the future of France. <laughs> Specifically, <sighs> he is very hopeful that you know, they have all these problems and he knows, um, but he's very hopeful that King Louis XVI is going to fix them. Mm, yeah, he's, he's been really good at uh, his job so far. Really good. So in February, an assembly of notables uh, is assembled. Uh, <laughs> an assembly, assembly is, is assembled. Assembled. Yeah. 144 important men, from bishops to mayors all around the country, um, come together to discuss how to improve France's financial issues. Great. I'm sure they'll... F- Quickly come to an idea and We're implement nail it. it. Ah, the first time. It's going to yeah. be great. Let's talk about Let's it. Let's just talk it out. So Lafayette thinks royal spending is the problem, and he's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also knows this from experience. <laughs> <laughs> the spending is the problem. So, you know. It's, it's um, that, uh, that drill tweet. It's like, help me balance my budget. Mm-hmm. It's like a million dollars for candles. Stop buying so candles. Many. Stop like, my. I won't. I can't though. No. Yeah, we have to find it somewhere else. <laughs> have to find it elsewhere in the budget. Hmm. Except the candles are bread. Yeah. Uh, but he thinks that Louis the Sixteenth uh, is going to fix it, and the people disagree. Uh, no, he won't. No. You haven't been here, dude. But he's excited because uh, the people who are going to be in this assembly are hand chosen. By the king and this other guy. And <laughs> yeah. he gets chosen to be in the second estate. I got chosen to be in the second estate. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. What is that from Hamilton? Um, 
The National Convention. Yeah, the National Convention. <laughs> the, the Assembly of Notables. <laughs> He's very excited. Because this, this feels like he can actually do something with, like, political prowess in France, right? Yeah. Like, if he is useful in this meeting, that, like, maybe they'll listen to him more and he could get, like, a position in politics. Because clearly he cares a lot about politics. And, like, he could help. Right? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, baby. I know. Um, so he's in the second estate, which is mostly no- nobles. Uh, the first estate being the clergy and the third estate being wealthy commoners. <laughs> Not the poor ones. Not the poor. Only the wealthy ones. Those aren't even Essentially on the like the middle class. Yeah. You know, as much as France has a middle class right now. The, um, the lawyers and the professionals. Yeah. Not like merchants or like, you know, street walkers. Street walkers. <laughs> that was the next step after merchants. <laughs> yep. Those are the only professions. I mean, just, um, just say merchants. They're both merchants. <laughs> They're just merchants. Different goods. Different goods. <laughs> But uh, Lafayette uh, thought his being chosen was not only an honor, but like I said, an opportunity. Political goals. I can change things. Me. He has ideas. Uh, He comes in. He's mostly interested in the Protestants being treated better. He's friends with some Protestants, and he thinks they're not being treated real good. Um, Making trade easier for merchants. He thinks that's going to improve commerce greatly in... Okay. Which makes sense, given his studies. Yeah. And... um, he thinks the provinces should be more uh, democratically functional, like they should be electing more people to control the smaller areas Okay. to make better decisions for the smaller places. I agree. And Laura's like, yeah, all those are good ideas, but, you know, compared to what we're going to do, very tame, very safe. Very tame. <laughs> compared to what people are saying in the streets. And yeah, um, and like imagine coming to the meeting with, I think we should make it easier to get money into the business and yeah. like maybe a little more management in uh-huh. some of our branches. And someone's like, I think we should um, destroy the CEO. Yeah. I mean, I think, to kill him. I think we need to burn the whole building down and start over. Oh. Oh. Oh, that's different than well, what maybe, I was thinking. Maybe we could try mine first. Let's, maybe we could compromise. Ooh, what, what's we, in the middle? <laughs> oh, maybe we could try. And they're like, no. Ooh. Um, so the man in charge of the assembly is named uh, Charles Alexander uh, de Calonne. And he's a French statesman who has five ideas on how to fix France's, <laughs> France's budget problem. This is my five-prong five plan. Five-step plan. Five-step plan. Number one, cut the government spending. Number two, revive free trade methods. Number three, authorize sale of church property. Number four, equalize the salt and tobacco tax. And number five, establish a universal land value tax. Well, that's never going to happen. (laughs) You want to take land from the clergy and the royals? Cologne is very unpopular. (laughs) Get out of here. Get out. He says in front of the nobility and the church. <laughs> I think we need to take your stuff. Because right now, the middle class doesn't have as much power, really. No, and they don't have land. And they don't have land. Yeah. Um. So, he's been, and to his credit, uh, Cologne's been trying to do this for a minute. He's been, like, these have been his, he's known about the problem. Everybody knows about the problems. Yeah. Right? But he's been trying to fix them for years. Mm-hmm. And he's been trying to talk to Parliament about making actual changes. And they're like, go away. We don't like you. And so then this was his idea to try to get, like, different people in here who have influence to be like, help me, like, actually fix it. This is really bad. 
bad. People don't people don't know what's going to happen, so they're not mm-hmm. willing to compromise now. No, it's the same similar thing with the uh, enslavement issue. Yeah, where it's like yeah. we could do something radical, or we could wait and let it explode. Yes. Only this one's going to explode way faster. Ooh, the heat is up. <laughs> heat is on. Heat is on. But, you know, I think this is a good thing to point out that, like, every time there is some sort of disaster like this, there are people who see it coming and try to prevent it. Yeah. It's just they don't get listened to. They don't get listened So, like, you know, listens. maybe don't listen to the men on the street being like, oh, it's the end times or whatever, you know? But if someone educated comes into the room and says, like, hey, something really bad might happen. Like when Obama was like, hey, I think if we had a pandemic, it would be really bad. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should plan for it. And everyone said, no, boo. Every. Go away. Like, I've pretty much. Every world leader ever until yeah. uh, very recent was like, listen, this is going to happen. We know it's going to happen because yep. all of our scientists keep saying it's going to happen. Yep. And it keeps happening yep. on a small level. Maybe mm-hmm. we should have a plan and not defund it. And everyone said, boo, it's not happening now, so I don't care. Boo. Shut up. Fix the actual problems. Jeez. Anyway, so there's always a guy. There's, there's always a <laughs> there's always a man who has five steps, <laughs> and they're to make everybody mad. Yeah, especially because he's nobility. Yeah, like he's not. This will affect him. <laughs> and he, almost uh, even worse for him personally is that yes. uh, he's a noble who uh, has not gotten anything done. He has a track record of failure. Uh huh. And they put him in charge. Get wrecked. Great. Um, so these things have been on his platform, I said, for a hot minute, but Parliament doesn't care. So he's like, let's do the assembly thing. <laughs> Not hot enough. But that obviously also doesn't work. Um, but so, way to try. <laughs> I mean, you know? Okay. He really wants to do something. That was the first try. Um, so he gets mocked in the paper about this. <laughs> of course he does. All the papers. Yeah. Um, nobody likes that. They, they, there's a very famous sketch of him as a chef, and he's asking a flock of birds what sauce they would like to be served in <laughs> when they are eaten. Yeah. So like, are you kidding me? And I think, you know, this is dual purpose for the poor and the rich to yeah. be like, hey, you're just serving us up Compromise. when you're rich. And the poor are like, let's eat them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Do it. But, like, he might be helping us eat them. So, like, maybe he's cool. Maybe. <laughs> um, but so he, you know, <laughs> makes these points. And the first one, which is uh, lower government spending. Everybody's kind of like, yeah, I that's a good idea. I do think that's good. Except for I the think government. No, no, they're saying they think it's a good idea too. They're like, no, you're right. We do spend too much money, probably on the government. I agree. Um, and then he gets to uh, land tax. And everyone says, absolutely not, because no. uh, his land tax proposal, they're normal. They do have land taxes, but there is a million exceptions to them. And his don't have any basic. It's universal. And so they're like, yeah, no. that's going to cost me a lot of money. No loopholes. Yeah. And I will mention that, you know, the first and second estate have um, the church and the nobles, all of whom owned all the land. So they're like, that sounds like it sucks. <laughs> 
And like, even the third estate, like those are their wealthy commoners who might own land. Um, yeah. So to them, like that kind of sucks because it's like, wait a minute, I already don't have a lot of money, and now you're gonna tax me just because I own some land. Uh, That's terrible. Like tax reform today. Mm-hmm. So I they're mean, like, it is, I don't ta- think it is so. tax reform, hundred no, yeah. percent. Oh, it affects me. I don't like it. Oh, no, you want me to pay? That one seems bad though. I thought uh, just other people were gonna pay. And people get so mad about him talking about this that they he literally has to leave France. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that is not the first time or last time that is going to happen. No. Um, so it doesn't work. Uh, Although he's lucky because they did let him leave. They did. Um, Thomas Jefferson, uh, who is now the French ambassador at the time, <laughs> writes to Abigail Adams that the most remarkable effect of this convention as yet is the number of puns and bon mots it has generated. Yeah. I think were they all collected, it would make a more voluminous work than the encyclopedic. Savage. Yep. So Just he's like, dragging him. yeah, um, the meeting's going really well. Everyone's making fun of them a lot. A lot of memes, you know? They're it's meme, meme factory. They memed him out of the country. They they made uh, encyclomemia. <laughs> hey, I'm about to walk out again. <laughs> that was a good joke, and you know it. it I didn't was. even write that one down. <laughs> that was right now. Unscripted. Unscrupled. Natural. <laughs> exquisite. Yes. Um, and also the king is like, you know what we should do? We should elect somebody for each of the provinces from the third estate. Yeah. And uh, Lafayette and the other nobles are like, I don't think so. That sounds like a bad <laughs> idea. That, mm, <laughs> we don't need No. Mm, no. Um, and to his credit, um, you know, obviously the nobles <laughs> want to be in charge of stuff. Obviously. Yeah. But... They're also worried that the king wants to do this to take all the power away from them and to commoners who are not educated, that he can control all of them (laughs) and then and just force them to do whatever he wants. Yeah. So that like then there's no oversight because they don't know better because they don't go to school. God, it's such a (laughs) such a massive miscalculation. Yeah. So like, you know, imagine to the commoners. This is like, oh, they just want to keep controlling us. And it's like, I mean, yes, but also he's trying to control you more. Yeah. So, like, at least if it's us, there's, like, committee and we can disagree with each other. And mm. they do. But, like, this way, it's just his direct control. So they see this as even more despotism than they already have. Yeah. So they're like, oh, no, no. We don't think that's a good idea. Oh, no. Oh, no. no. Um, so it's, but it's awkward because then, you know, Lafayette, champion of the people, is like, no, no, they shouldn't be in charge. No, don't let more people in, though. <laughs> Which seems very confusing given you've been working with Americans in the American Revolution. No, um, these ones are simple and idiots. You can't, they can't think for themselves. They're not educated. They don't understand how to do so. Well, and the thing is, the Americans have been doing it so long. They were already operating all alone, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. So it's like, well, they're prepared. They have a colonialist stick to Yeah, you know, to a certain extent, yeah, the French commoners are not prepared to run a country. I agree. Like, that probably isn't the way. Um, But, but, you know. (laughs) Even even America, like, the commoners did not rise up and start governing themselves. The landowners and the richest white guys on the continent rose up and started it. So, you know what? The nobility should kill the king. Let's (laughs) do it. Yes. Let's do it. Yeah. They're like, no, that seems bad, too, no. though. He pays my bills, though. They have been so, they got the legs cut out he from under them. He gives me an allowance, though. Uh, after the Sun King just, like, neutered them. Yeah. And they never recover. It's true. So, oh, so the, and the other main thing that they're annoyed about, um, the nobility to the king specifically, mm-hmm. is uh, 
they have a huge deficit, and no one can agree how much it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Cologne first presents that he thinks they have an 80 million livre deficit. And then he says, no, I actually think it's 114 million yeah. which is a significantly different number. Um, it might be more. And then when his numbers are checked, uh, other audits yield or are wildly yielding numbers both directions, like that are more and less than what he's saying. So they're like, nobody knows. And um, imagine if uh, our national deficit is, we're not sure, it's somewhere between 30 million and a billion dollars. Yeah, I don't know. Really? We're not sure. We keep getting a different number. But unfortunately, the nobles leverage this against him, and as does the clergy, and maybe even the third estate, that like, hey, how are your taxes going to fix this if we don't even know how much we need to make right? to fix it? How do you not know? Uh, hmm. And not only that, but this is extra shocking to the people um, because they had a French audit recently, and it said that they had a surplus of money. Um, just years before, six years earlier, um, Jacques Nectar uh, is a Swiss Protestant banker in charge of uh, the finances in France. You know, we got to get the Swiss people in charge yeah. of the finances. Got to get the Swiss on. And you the know bank. how they are with you the banks. Know. You know. Even though it's before that happens. Yeah. So <laughs> but we're already doing it. They're, stereotypes. They're, they're so <laughs> uppity because they know we can't climb mountains. <laughs> um, but so he releases the uh, Compte Rendu Euro, which is the nation's finances. Um, it's basically a complete, uh, like, pamphlet of the king, essentially. Mm -hmm. So it's basically just like, here's how much money we have. Uh, and they release it in, like, multiple languages. It becomes, like, the most popular thing in France at the time, which everyone's very confused. Yeah. About <laughs> why? And I'm like, really? It's French, or the French finances minus whatever we're spending in America. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't know. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, um, given we're spending no money in America, we are at a 10 million riva excess. Mm. We've we've made 10 million. Wow. Just minus that bit that we don't know how much it is. Yeah. I couldn't say how much you're spending Who knows? in the colonies. Probably not important. On that war. Probably not important. Probably not. Um... How bad could it have possibly been? But that's why when they hear the number six years later is now negative 80 million livres, they're like, I'm sorry, what is it? I'm sorry. Whose fault was that? And why they're like, I need everybody to check these numbers. And then uh, everyone's like getting a different number. Also, bring me a sacrificial goat. I don't care who it is. Oh, God. So, uh, yeah, that's why everybody's mad. And so we're going to stop right there um, where the kettle is starting to bubble, baby. There's, like, little bubbles, like, going up the sides. <sighs> what are like, we going to do with this? Bad things that, are happening. That's bad. Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're going to do the same thing that um, Assassin's Creed Unity did, where we're going to cover the French Revolution for the first time from a noble's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it turned out so we're making the same mistakes. God. Just so happens that we're talking about somebody who's there. Ugh, and we did it so. the, We did it with uh, Lavoisier, too. Yeah. Dang it. Ah, but, uh, you know, those we people suck. Those people who write shit. We down. suck. <laughs> we'll do it. I, I mean, you're going to do it from very different perspectives yeah. later. So, yeah. But I think they're also, I mean, they're not noble, but they're rich. 
They're they're in the influential, wealthy third estate. Yeah, they're definitely they're definitely in the third estate. They're the people going to those meetings and getting nominated. But the people who are in the third estate, or I mean, people lower than the third estate, can't write. Okay, yeah. they they can't read. They don't know what's going on. They're as um, they can't help us. They're they're as uh, low class as it's gonna get with this for sure. Um. And even then, wildly different perspectives. Of course. And opinions. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's where we're going to end today. So next time, <laughs> it's going to start happening. It's, it's going to happen. It's like the Super Bowl of murder <laughs> and death. See, and I'm excited about the French Revolution, but I'm more excited about Napoleon stuff. Because I know that he and like Lafayette and Napoleon have... Words. It's so cool that they meet. I know I've said that before, but it really is like MCU getting all it your is. favorites together. That like talk about vanity. Am I right, prof- Napoleon? <laughs> professional wrestling when your two favorites finally get together and you're like, yes, right? Because because like that's the thing with like talking about Lafayette's vanity. It's like maybe he's a little vain, but we have like Napoleon in this. He, We've got uh, like Robespierre, in this. like. <laughs> Lavoisier doesn't have Louis enough of 16. a. He doesn't have enough of a chip on his shoulder to be truly that vain. Yeah, like he does, he isn't trying to fool anyone. He isn't trying to. I don't know. He's not trying to prove himself. Yeah, he's just vibing. He's he's kind of vibing. Just doing his do. Yeah, but yeah. So uh, fun to come. <laughs> this was uh, fun to come. The calm before the storm. And, you know, you get to see it coming. You're like, oh, that looks bad. <laughs> it's like it's looking bad. Like when you drive over the state line into Wyoming and you're like, it looks bad. <laughs> it's like when, uh, you know, hmm. Floridians start seeing a lot of rain and they're like, oh, hmm. it's probably a hurricane. But let's just see if it's going to be bad or not first. It looks real before bad. Before I leave. But you just kind of keep watching. But you're like, but is it that bad? We have hurricanes all the time. Is it that bad? Is it that bad? The and poor then, people are always mad. And then... Uh, and then you're spinning out and drowning. It's like, oh, it was oh, bad. Oh, no, that one was a bad. I, you know, oh, how was I to know? That's on me. It was bad. <laughs> that was on that me. one was really bad. <laughs> Waffle House closed. I should have known. Should have known. Anyway, thanks for listening. You love can email you, us at, uh, yes, love you. you. Can email us at hystericalhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you feel about, you know, anything you want. Love you too, um, Wyoming, I guess. Sure. Uh, why, you know, people who live in Wyoming, it's not your fault. Let us know how you're feeling. Leave us a review on things. Um, we didn't post an episode last week, and we might be kind of at a, like, every other week situation until we get back into the full swing of things. Uh, we're going to try at least – I think we'll have at least two, you know, spooky episodes for October. We might not have four, but we'll do our best. Man, but October's So Lafayette's going to be on pause during that, obviously. Uh-huh. I, Although, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean – Pretty scary. I mean. <laughs> Depends on what happens to him. Uh, I don't think anything that scary happens to him. And how it lines up, like, midst of hmm. French Revolution, pretty iffy. Hmm? Pretty iffy. Because huh? uh, they really don't like people on, in, no. on the middle, not willing to commit. I know. I mean, no, he is committed. He's committed to a medium thing. <laughs> Hate that. <laughs> War, you're a, Worse. You're a centrist. <laughs> True. Disgusting. <laughs> Unfortunate. <laughs> anyway, nothing, nothing dirtier than a centrist. Bye. Bye. <laughs>